we're in the middle of this series called Your Biggest Questions. And today's question is, what does the Bible say and how should I think about LGBT issues? Okay, now, now I got to confess to you, I've been nervous about this question from the moment it was submitted, before we even did the votes, because I, I knew it would get picked. And this is a tough issue. This is a hard issue, and I've been nervous about it. I was nervous all this week and anxious about talking about this. So why, why was I so nervous? Well, I think one, this is an emotionally, religiously, and politically charged issue. This is a hot topic, and there is passion and anger and strong opinions on both sides of the, the debate here. That's one. Another one is this congregation. I mean, us sitting here right now, we are probably split on the issue of how we feel about LGBT issues. Um, I, I will not assume that this whole group lands on one camp or the other. So it's likely that in this room we have opposing viewpoints. Some may be very strong opposing viewpoints. Um, and then lastly, and, and probably most importantly, is my own personal experience with people who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender is very limited. To my knowledge, nobody in my family is gay. Um, I have no personal, close friends who identify as gay. I have some distant friends and acquaintances, um, but nobody who's personally close in my life. Uh, and also, I could probably count on two hands the number of conversations I've had with people who identify as LGBT. So I'm coming into this already at a deficit. And so, so I'm going to do my best to handle this very sensitive topic with a lot of grace, a lot of humility, and a lot of sensitivity. Um, and I ask you to do the same regardless of where you stand. So, so I'm feeling nervous. How are you feeling? How are you feeling at the prospect of spending the next half an hour hearing from a Christian pastor about LGBT? Right? How are you feeling right now? Are you excited? Are you nervous? Are you, are you anticipating what I'm going to say? Or are you afraid of what I'm going to say? Are you feeling defensive or are you feeling argumentative? How are you feeling right now going into this sermon? That's a really important question to ask and to answer because how you're feeling right now will have a significant impact on how you listen and how you react to things I say. So, so I, I just want for everyone to kind of take a moment and acknowledge how are you feeling and to just kind of own up to it. It's not good, bad, right, or wrong. Just own up to how you're feeling, okay? Well, before I start, I want to define some terms that I'm going to use over the next 30 minutes or so, okay? I want to define some terms because this is important in any discussion. You've got to define your terms so everyone understands the definitions of the words that we're using, Okay? So first, LGBT, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. Okay? Now, I understand that LGBTQIA is actually a more inclusive acronym. For those not familiar with that, that also includes queer, questioning, intersexual, and asexual individuals. 
But the truth is, LGBTQIA is just a mouthful. My tongue would just get tired saying that. So I'm gonna stick with the more common acronym of LGBT. Um, understanding that that isn't necessarily limited to those four definitions or those four um, types of individuals, okay? So that's one. Another phrase, gay. Okay? Now typically, the, the technical definition of gay refers to a man with same-sex attraction or relationships or activity, okay? But the general definition also can include a man or a woman, okay? For the sake of ease while I'm talking, I'm gonna use the general definition of gay. So when I speak of gay, it's not limited to a man, as in gay versus lesbian. It's the general definition of anyone who has a same-sex orientation, a, a same-sex uh, identity, um, relationships, et cetera, okay? Now, there are two terms that I wanna use, and I, I have a few versions of this, and so one of them, one of them is going to be a pro-gay theology. Pro-gay, or another word that's common used in the literature is progressive Christian theology in terms of LGBT, okay? So I'm gonna use, I'm gonna use those phrases, pro-gay and progressive Christian at times, uh, and, and that is defined as people who believe that the Bible affirms same-sex relationships. Yeah. That's kind of the summary of what, what pro-gay theology, uh, and, and that's a commonly agreed upon term in the literature. It's not, it's not meant at all to be derogatory or restrictive. Um, that's just a fairly common term that's used. So I will be using it today as well. Okay? Another, and then the contrast of that, a contrast to, to a pro-gay theology is typically, and this one has a few different terms. Um, I don't like con-gay theology or like against gay theology, that's a terrible way to look at it. So a common word that you'll hear me use today is a traditional view of scripture. Those that hold a traditional view of scripture are believe, believe that the Bible does not affirm same-sex relationships, okay? So, now I acknowledge in those two opinions and the sides of the debate, there is a large range of opinions, whether within the pro-gay, not everybody who, who uh, espouses pro-gay theology, believes the same thing. There are actually there are two distinct sides, what's called side A and side B, but there's even a third one in there as well. So, so it's a range. And I also understand that those who believe in a traditional view of Scripture is a wide range as well. Okay? So, so I, I don't want to make a really classic mistake, particularly of Christians, when talking about LGBT issues, which is to oversimplify a very complex topic. Okay? So I don't want to oversimplify because it minimizes people, it minimizes people's experiences, um, and, and I don't want to do that. But just for the sake of uh, communication, those are some of the terms that I'll be using today. So we're all kind of on the same page about that. So, so let's talk. The original question that was submitted was, what does the Bible say, and how should I think about LGBT issues? Technically, there were actually four different questions that were submitted, all about LGBT. And I kind of combined them into one, but they were all sort of surrounding this topic. Um, and, and before I get into kind of some of the meat of this, I do want to say this, this message, this sermon, will be different than pretty much any sermon I've ever done. Um, what, we're going to hit a few key topics, but pretty high level. Um, if you're looking for me to go into a big exegesis on Levitical, Leviticus 18.22, you're going to be disappointed. I'm not going to do that today. Okay? There, there are people way smarter than me who have written on that. But I'm going to hit some top level topics 
throughout um, the, the message here. And so, so you'll see, we, we actually won't have any like verses up on the screen, uh, all of that. Th- this is just me sharing some hi- really important high-level concepts with you today. So it's different uh, than anything I've done before and different than anything I'll do in the future. Okay? So what does the Bible say and how should I think about LGBT issues? So this question has two parts, as you could tell, okay? But I'm actually going to split it into three. I'm going to split it into three parts. First, how should I think about LGBT issues? Second, how should I talk about LGBT issues? And third, what does the Bible say about LGBT issues? So I'm going to divide this up into three parts and kind of hit each one as they flow from one to another. So each one of these, these are huge topics. I could do an entire series. This could be a three-week series right now that I'm going to be doing in about 35 to 40 minutes. And so I decided I'm going to go a little longer today. I figure this topic is worth an extra five, maybe 10 minutes tops, uh, worth talking about. So I'll go a little longer today. If you start getting antsy, feel free to wander around. I won't be offended, okay? Like that. So first one. That, that timing could not have been better. <laughs> so, first one, how should I think about LGBT issues? The answer to that, biblically. You, that for Christians, you should think about LGBT issues biblically. Okay, now, for some of you, I need to, I need to stop you. Because some of you, when I said that, you immediately went to a certain position that you believe I am referring to. That's not what I said. Okay, I'm not talking about a particular position. What I'm talking about is thinking biblically, regardless of what your view on LGBT issues is. Okay? Now, it, it, it kind of comes down to this question of how did you come to your views? How did you develop your opinions on gay marriage, transgender bathroom rights, pride events? How have you come to your views on these things? That's what I'm talking about. And the reason I wanted to start with this is because I actually, from my experience, and again, I've acknowledged my experience is somewhat limited, but from my experience, this seems to be the biggest mistake that Christians on both sides of the battle are making, okay? It's the biggest mistake that I see, whether pro or traditional view of Scripture, okay? So let me explain that a little bit, okay? So for, for, for folks who, who fully support and affirm anything LGBT, okay? What's interesting is, again, from my experience, I found very few people who have come to that conclusion based off reading the Bible and studying and, and reading and listening, okay? I've met very few people who have come to it, that view out of Scripture. Instead, the people that I've talked with, they tend to fall into one of three categories of where their view came from, okay? First, from family and friends, such as, my brother is gay. How could I treat him any differently? How would I not want the best for him in his life? Okay, so a family and friends argument. Another one is uh, in the context of civil rights. Marriage is a basic human right, or some will argue marriage is a basic civil right. Okay? So some see it in terms of civil rights. 
Uh, some also see it in terms of equality. That was a phrase we saw a lot um, prior to the, the court ruling, marriage equality. So some see it, see it as equal treatment under the law. So some people develop their views based on a, an orientation of equality. Uh, and f- sometimes for those who might reference the Bible, often it's just about the, the idea that we should love one another. But even that is, is a fairly shallow, very light understanding of the idea to love one another. Okay? And so, so that's, that's what my experience, I've known very few. Some of my seminary buddies who are like pastoring at other churches, yeah, they, then I can, they've, they've come out of Scripture to a set of views, but I haven't met many like non-pastor people who have, have done that, okay? So now, okay, let's talk about the other side. Let, let's talk about those, who, those of you who maybe oppose gay marriage or hold a traditional view of Scripture. Now, for some of you, let, let, me, let me ask is, did you come to that view based on your own personal study of Scripture? Or did you come to that view because that's what you've heard pastors and parents, your culture say? Um, and my guess is it's probably the latter of those two answers. Um, that's been my experience. I've known, again, I've known very few Christians uh, on the traditional side of Scripture who have said, I have personally poured over these verses and read about them and studied and wrestled and prayed. I know I didn't. I didn't up until about four years ago. Um, it was the first time I taught it to, to when I was in youth ministry back at Mong American Alliance Church, and, and I taught a few weeks on homosexuality. And so I had, which means I've been a Christian for 25 years, and I had never once looked into the verses that seemed so contentious and argued about. I'd never read a book about looking at LGBT issues. I just regurgitated what the pastors said. So for those of you who fall into a traditional view of Scripture, are you just regurgitating what you've heard pastors say? Or can you own your views? Because they came from your hard work and sweat and prayer and agonizing over it. You see, this is an issue that I believe both sides are at fault of. And, and if, if you have not come to your views based out of Scripture, out of the Bible, and you identify yourself as a Christian, that's a problem. That's a problem. Because one of the fundamental tenets of the Christian faith One of the biggies is something the theologians call the authority of Scripture. Okay, it's called the authority of Scripture. This is really well summed up by one of my favorite theologians. It's one of the books I go to for almost every sermon. It's a guy by the name of Millard Erickson. uh, And he was actually local for a while. He's taught around here in the Twin Cities. And so he described it like this. Let, let Let me read this to you. The Bible, as the expression of God's will to us, possesses the right supremely to define what we are to believe and how we are to live. Let me, let me say this again. This is the definition 
of authority of Scripture. The Bible, as the expression of God's will to us, possesses the right supremely to define what we believe and how we are to live. So the Bible, first and foremost, the Bible is God's will to us. It's not merely a historical record. It's not merely first century Jewish narratives. It's not even merely the origin story of, of two world religions. But the Bible is God's will for us. And as such, it defines what we believe and how we live. The Word of God for Christians, for believers, the Word of God is always over us. It is above our experiences. It is above our desires. It is even above the way we want the world to be. And it is above your churches. And it is above your pastors. So regardless of what side you're on, Do you really believe in the authority of Scripture? And if you don't, if that's not something you're willing to do, if you're not willing to read and study and wrestle through the Bible and agree with whatever you come out of their Scripture with, whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, if you're not willing to do that, you might need to ask yourself whether you're really willing to let Jesus be your Lord. Because this falls under Jesus as Lord. That means he's the one above us. So the authority of Scripture. So are you thinking about LGBT issues biblically? Second question. Second side. How should you talk about LGBT issues? How should you talk about LGBT issues? This one, the answer is with love and humility. With love and humility. Now, this one should be a no-brainer, but it's not. Okay? It's not. Truth is for either side. Okay? Now, this one has probably been the biggest failure of conservative Christianity for the last 40 years. That Christians in general, and particularly a category of Christians called evangelical Christians, which tend, just think kind of conservative Christians, um, have absolutely failed to speak and act in love and humility with regard to anything LGBT and anyone within the LGBT community. We have absolutely failed that. So for the last 40 years, the church, Christians, have pretty much owned the market on being jerks about LGBT issues and being absolutely jerks to people who identify as gay and lesbian, bisexual, transgender, okay? For the last 40 years, we have owned the market. Nobody in the world have been bigger, better jerks than Christians when it comes to the gay community. Now, however, Now, with the court ruling, I don't know if you've seen this, but I've noticed this. Some, not all, some on the other side of the fence, now that they have some legal precedent 
in a sense, some power, some legal power behind them, even if socially and culturally they still, that community still lacks significant power. Legally, they now have a whole lot of power. So now what's interesting, now I'm starting to see some jerks on the other side of the fence in the way that they talk on Facebook, the way you'll see some representatives on news programs. So, I mean, it's unfortunate that they kind of borrowed some of the worst, one of the worst characteristics from the church, and that's being insensitive, self-righteous, and just downright rude. So that's something that we're, we're seeing on both sides. Still, conservative Christians still do more, much more of it. But unfortunately, we're starting to see it on both sides now. Okay? I mean, just look at our political climate. We just had two, two uh, conventions, Democratic and Republican conventions. Look at the climate of dialogue that is going on in our country right now. It is terrible. It is genuinely insensitive, self-righteous, and rude. Right? Regardless of what your political orientation might be. We need right now in America, more than ever, I believe, people who speak with love and humility. We need that more. America needs that. CNN and Fox News needs that. The government needs that. And the church really needs that. Okay? And I believe that Christians have to be the ones leading this charge because God has commanded it to us. This is non-negotiable. I could stand up here literally quilt, quote dozens and dozens of verses to you in Scripture that we should, we should speak with love and humility. Okay? It is so pervasive of a theme, I don't even need to justify it because even non-Christians would say the Bible says you should speak with love and humility. Okay? So I just want to ask you some questions. Again, regardless of what side you're on, I want to ask you some questions. Do you love your neighbor? Okay, most of you are probably thinking, you're saying, yeah, I do okay at that. Do you love your enemy? Do you love the person whose views on LGBT issues you abhor and you hate? Do you love them? Would people know, for those who identify as a Christian, if you're a Christian, would people know you're a Christian by the way you talk about LGBT issues? Would they know you're a Christian by your love? Can you listen to someone that you disagree with without trying to prove them wrong? Can you listen without trying to prove them wrong? What's your tone like? when the subject of LGBT issues comes up? What's your language like? Are they, is it filled with love and humility? If, if you're with someone who has a different view than you, are you able to ask questions to understand them instead of try to prove points? You know what I'm talking about? You know those questions that really you're just trying to prove a point or trap them? Can you ask questions to genuinely understand someone? without trying to trap them or prove them wrong. And lastly, and kind of simply, can you accept that somebody will disagree with you? Or do they need to 
hold your same opinion. And that's why it's so important that you tell them right there why you disagree with them. Okay? And again, this doesn't matter which side of the fence you fall on. <laughs> this applies to every single one of us in the room. So as a Christian, if you identify as a Christian, you must talk about LGBT issues with love and humility. And if that's not you, you need to learn how. You need to spend some time with someone who does know how to talk with love and humility about these issues and learn how they do it. Okay? That's the second one. Now let's talk about the third one. What does the Bible say about LGBT issues? Now, why am I talking about this last? Why am I talking about this at the end of the sermon? Some of you might have wondered that. Some of you might have felt, well, why didn't you lead with this? Shouldn't, shouldn't we lead with what the Bible says? Some might believe that. But I believe that, that the Christian church needs to make a change. Because for the last 40 years, the general MO of the church, the general strategy of the church has been you lead with truth and then love maybe is somewhere as a second, a distant second. Okay? But what's most important in the, in the fight against gay marriage, LGBT rights, whatever you want to call it. Okay? But the most important thing is that we need to lead with truth. Truth has to be the first thing we say. And then we can love behind it. Okay? This is probably most characterized by, by the classic phrase, which you may have heard before. It's the, the love the sin, hate the sinner. Okay, first of all, never say that again. If you have ever said that, apologize now and never say that again. Okay, and here's why. Every single person I have ever met in my whole life who has ever said to me, love the sin, I know, I know what we should do is we should love the sin, hate the, uh, uh, love the sin or hate the sin. Okay, there's a problem. Every single person I've ever had say that to me seems to do a whole lot better hating the sin than loving the sinner. I know very few people who love a whole lot more than they hate who say that. So if that's something you've heard, if that's, if that's a bumper sticker answer to a really complex question and you like that one, don't like it. It's terrible. Okay? But the Christian church generally has led with truth and then love is a distant second. I believe because of the climate, the culture that we live in, and the way that this issue and this debate is, has progressed in the last three to four years, I believe it's time for the church to flip that. I believe that we need to lead with the love and have the truth come second place. Notice I'm not saying get rid of the truth. I'm not saying don't talk about the truth. But I believe if, if you cannot speak with love and humility, and if you haven't mastered that, don't, don't go to truth yet. Master the love and humility first. And so hopefully in our little time together, I mean, that hopefully you feel that, that I, I've talked about this issue with love and humility and with respect. And so now I'm, I'm going to make that shift and talk about some truth. But again, this was very intentional for this to be second. 
Because I believe the church as Christians, we need to lead with, with love first and then let truth come up behind it. So, what does the Bible say about LGBT issues? Um, like I said, prior to four years ago, I just regurgitated what pastors had told me. So about four years ago, I spent a whole lot of time reading, reading blogs, reading books, and then this time around to prep for this sermon. I've actually, I've probably read more for this sermon than I have for any single sermon, maybe even any other series. Um, and what was different this time is I actually read some of the, the dominant books and articles from the side that is opposite my own. So that I read both sides of the, the debate. And I've, I've wrestled with the scriptures, and I've, I've read both sides of how they explain the, the five to six scriptures in the Bible that talk about homosexuality. And I have landed with confidence that, that the Bible teaches that same-sex sexual activity is outside God's will for his followers, and therefore sin. That same-sex sexual activity is outside God's will for his followers, and therefore it's sin. When I read the scriptures and I read both arguments, I find the, the, the traditional view of scripture far more compelling and far more exegetically accurate and hermeneutically accurate and all of these other adverbs I learned in seminary about how to read the Bible and my own convictions as I read and I prayed. This is where I've landed and I believe this is what the Bible does say. Um, so, there are four reasons why I believe this, and I'm going to hit all four reasons. I'm not going to go into any of the individual scriptures. I've actually put together a handout that you can pick one up on the way out. Um, I've included the five of the major verses in scripture that talk about, that directly speak to homosexuality, and then about five or, other five or six other references that indirectly speak to or around the idea of homosexuality, okay? And then on the other side, actually, I collected, I did a summary, I did a seven-point summary of the most, the most significant pro-gay theology arguments, or really they are counter-arguments to some of the verses. So I actually summarize those. So you can get, you can get a one-minute summary of, of what is typically identified as a pro-gay theology. And then on the end, I also put a list of books, because if I'm challenging you to study Scripture, it, it's going to mean you read some books. And so I've included books across the spectrum. I've included books on there that I agree with and some books on there that I disagree with. Because I believe it's important for us to understand both sides of this. Okay? So that's going to be on a little handout you can grab on the way out. So I'm not going to talk about specific scriptures today, but I'm going to give you four high-level reasons why I believe that the Bible teaches against same-sex sexual activity. Okay? So, um, first, throughout the Bible, the Bible communicates and holds a very high view of marriage. Marriage is not a light thing in Scripture. Marriage is a big deal. We see it from Genesis to Revelation. And whether we talk about that there's something very unique and special about the pairing of a man and woman that you see in Genesis 1 and 2, um, and that same specialness Jesus refers back to when he talks about marriage and divorce, Paul refers back to when he talks about marriage and singleness, 
There is something that the Bible indicates that is very unique and very special about the pairing of a husband and a wife, a man and a woman. There's something very unique to that. Okay? It's not minor. Also, marriage. Marriage is seen, so not only in the Old Testament, it was a metaphor for God's relationship to his people, the Israelites. The Israelites, when they turned away from God, were, were defined or were called an unfaithful wife. And then in the New Testament, Jesus and Paul carry on this theme and use, use the theme of marriage to describe Jesus and the church. We, we are, the church is described as the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. So marriage is no small thing. And that's why I believe it's really dangerous to start coming up with ideas of how we believe marriage should be. And whether that's marriage between a man and a woman or a man and a man or a woman and a woman, okay? Because you can have an equally messed up, sinful, out of God's will marriage, hetero marriage as well. I mean, we all know that, okay? So, so you, you can have sinful relationships regardless of orientation. But there is, the Bible holds a very high view of marriage. And, and I have yet to read a remotely compelling argument against that. Anyone saying that, that the Bible teaches a low view of marriage, um, a flexible view of marriage. No one's been able to rebut that one yet. I haven't found it at least. So that's the first big reason why I believe that I am convicted that the Bible says that homosexual same-sex sexual activity is sin. Okay, the second reason that the Bible paints a very narrow view of sexuality. Okay? I'm not talking hetero, homo, nothing, same-sex, anything. Okay? I'm talking about sexuality in general. Okay? That there, the Bible paints a very narrow view of God-blessed, God-ordained sexuality. So we have to be really careful what our view is because our, our world, our culture has a wide view of sexuality. God has a very narrow view of sexuality. Okay? And I have yet to find anyone who can say that reading the Bible, God has a wide view of sexuality. It's very narrow. There are, I mean, there are literally dozens upon dozens of prohibitions against types of sexual activity. In fact, Leviticus 19, excuse me, Leviticus 18, one of the significant passages in this debate, almost the whole chapter, like 80% of the chapter is prohibitions against types of sexuality. So God has a very narrow view of sexuality, and he always has. So we need to be very careful when we widen that. Okay, third reason. Third reason. The Bible directly and indirectly describes same-sex sexual activity as sin. Okay. Now, so, so in Old and New Testament, there are five verses that directly speak to homosexuality and about seven verses that seem to imply that it's a sin. And in every one of those five that directly speak of it, it's spoken of negatively. And in every one of the seven that imply, it's spoken of negatively. There are no positive affirmations within Scripture 
of same-sex sexual activity, same-sex marriage. There are no positive affirmations. And even those on the pro-gay side of theology acknowledge that. There are no direct affirmations toward it, which honestly is one of the weakest parts of the pro-gay theology side of things because almost the best they can do is tell us what the Bible doesn't say. It can refute traditional definitions, but there's not really anything there regarding sexuality that can be used to affirm same-sex sexual relationships. It's just not there, okay? And then fourth, fourth is church tradition. 2,000 years of, of Christian church tradition and about 3,500 years of Jewish temple tradition has taught near unanimously that homosexual activity is sin. 2,000 years of church activity. Yes, I mean, there have been a few fringe theologians over the centuries, but the truth is they've been fringe. Since, since the first writings that we have, which are around 200 A.D., the ones outside the Bible, um, the earliest writings we can find are, are very consistent about their understanding of what Scripture, what the Bible says about same-sex sexual activity, and it's a sin. So, what does this mean for us at River Life? What does this mean for you as a regular at River Life, as a visitor to River Life? Well, it means a couple things. One, nobody's going to kick you out based on what you believe about LGBT issues. Okay? I've, I've made the decision not to make that a major here at the church. Okay? Now, I will, if we're ever sitting talking, I will challenge, have you come up with your views biblically? Or do they come up from what, some other source? So I might challenge you like that, but you'll never get kicked out for disagreeing, for instance, that the Bible teaches that same-sex sexual activity is a sin. You'll, ne you'll never get kicked out for supporting trans bathroom rights. Okay? So, so your views, River Life will be a place that will, will hold different views. Know from what I communicate up front, and it is reflective of the Christian Missionary Alliance, the denomination we're a part of, um, these views are in line with the denomination's views, but you do not have to agree with me to be part of the River Life family. Okay? We won't kick you out. Also, we're not going to kick you out even based on your sexual orientation. Okay? We might have to have some awkward and hard conversations. We might have to wrestle through some stuff together, but he, we will help every person that walks through these doors follow God pursue God, find their identity in Christ, live renewed and restored, regardless of sexual orientation. So if you've wondered like, whether you can invite your gay friend to River Life, the answer is yes. I, as pastor, am standing up here telling you that we will be okay with people disagreeing as long as the people visiting are okay with people disagreeing. Okay? Um, so I'm not going to make this one of our majors. I'm not going to ignore it, but it's not going to be one of our majors. Okay? Uh, but I do want to say this. I, I do want to challenge everyone here. Develop your views on this out of the Bible. 
not out of what you want, not out of what you experience, not even what you believe is right, but as a follower of Christ, trust the authority of Scripture and determine your views come, coming out of Scripture. A little note on that, this is also not the time to hold your views and then turn to the Bible to find ways to prove your own views. That's, that's, that's a terrible way to read the Bible, okay? Also, always, always speak with love and humility, no matter what view you hold. No matter how angry the person across the table might be, always speak with love and humility. And also, be okay if someone disagrees with you. I don't think this issue is going away. I think this is going to be a part of the church and, and the United States for a while. So we, need, we as a church need to learn how to be okay with someone who disagrees with us. And you might need to learn how to be okay with someone who disagrees with you, whether that's me or the person sitting next to you. Um, I want to close. We, we, we got a few minutes, and this one was, was I actually cut this originally, but I, I feel I, I want to I add this, a couple minutes on one particular question. It's probably the most common question that I've gotten because it's a hot topic. It's a big deal right now, is should I attend a wedding of a gay friend? Okay? Notice, I don't like particularly calling it a gay wedding because I believe that that's really, it's, it's kind of insulting to the people involved. I much prefer to, it, it is a wedding of a gay couple, okay? Should I attend a wedding of a gay couple? And so I decided to throw this in at the last minute here because I've heard like three or four people ever since I published this list, that question has come up. Now that gay marriage is legal here in Minnesota, if you haven't been invited to a, a, a wedding of a gay couple yet, you probably will at some point. And if you never get invited to one, you might need to ask why you have no gay friends in your circles, okay? So what do you do? What do you do? You get the invite. Here's my short answer. It's entirely up to you and God, okay? I am not going to stand up here and tell you one way or the other. This one is entirely up to you and God. Um, I'll tell you what I did. Uh, I attended. My wife and I were invited to a co-worker's wedding. Uh, he and his partner were getting married, um, and I attended. Now, there, was, there, are some, there are some Christian pastors who I admire and respect who have written strong articles against the choice that I made, okay? So uh, this, this was m just my decision, and in a couple minutes, I'll, or for a couple minutes, I'll explain how I made that decision. I am not at all saying that you should make the same decision. But you should wrestle over it and wrestle through it. Okay? Here, here was the major factor for me that determined whether I attend a wedding of a gay couple or not. Okay? Is that I do not believe that association means affirmation. I do not believe that to be associated at a wedding of a gay couple means that I fully affirm and fully endorse the relationship. Because if that were true, I'm not sure I would have done any weddings yet. I've done like a dozen weddings so far. Really, is there really a couple who 100% I would, I would morally and ethically and religiously approve of every single couple that I've married? No. Okay. Because, again, that's, it just doesn't happen, okay? But now, doing a wedding, that's a little different. You, if you're interested about that one, I, I'll tell you after service. But attending a service, attending a wedding, I made this decision 
to say yes. Because I, I do not believe that my presence there automatically meant that I fully agreed with what was happening there. My presence there did say I am there to support, and I mean, I didn't even know the guy. He was a coworker of my wife's. Um, but it did mean I was there to support a coworker of my wife's. And, and in my book, that's all it meant. Now, if some person was there and they saw, oh, pastor was there. Oh, pastor's now a pro-gay pastor. Ah! Get, get out of here. <laughs> I have little patience for that. But that was my view. And again, because, because my view is that, that we as a Christian church, we need to flip from truth first, then love, love first, then truth. And again, so, so that's, that's been my answer. And I did wrestle with it. My wife and I talked about it. Um, but that's where I landed. That does not mean it's where you have to land. But you should pray about it. You should wrestle with it. You should talk to people about it. I don't think it should be an easy, flippant decision. But I'm going to leave that up between you and God. Let the Holy Spirit answer you whether you would accept the invitation or not. Um, I did. And I probably would again. Um, one of the other things in this, I didn't think at that wedding, but I think now, particularly after reading a couple of books this, these past couple of weeks, is that I actually will, will take any opportunity if someone wants to invite me into their community, because I believe that's a privilege, to be invited into a celebration of their family and, uh, and, and the LGBT community, knowing that I am an outsider to that community. It is a privilege at any point to be invited into that. And I will do so with the most amount of love and the most amount of humility that God can feed through me. Because um, I believe that's what we need right now. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, you, you are gracious and you are gentle. Lord, so I pray for your grace upon us today. Lord, I pray for your gentleness in this difficult, sensitive topic. God, I pray for your presence in, in this congregation and each person here, Lord, that regardless of where, what they believe, that you can be close to them, that they can seek you as they wrestle through their own beliefs. Speak to us, Lord. Speak clearly to us. God, and I pray especially that Holy Spirit in us, which helps us become more like Christ, help us to become more like Christ. Filled with love. Filled with grace. Regardless of our views. Let River Life be a church that is known not for what it is against, but what it is for. Love, humility, and grace. So thank you, Lord. I pray all of this in the name of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Amen.